Hey, good morning. Welcome home. So glad you're here. My name's Tom. Uh, it is now ch- time for Children's Church. If you're between the ages of three and fifth grade, upstairs is the place you want to be. Okay, so glad to be back with you. Since uh, First, I, w- I want to thank Ryan McBride for filling in. Um, yeah, he did a great job. God bless him. Um, I was real blessed by uh, the message on the podcast. I, I didn't, um, I didn't tell him to do better than 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 me, because um, people are asking, "Hey, when are you leaving town again?" Uh, no, we're real grateful for you. Uh, since I've been gone, I uh, went to um, our son's graduation, and we're real grateful for that. Praising God for that. Thank you. Um, and got a haircut that makes me look like a Q-tip. But I'm glad to be back with you. Um, One thing before we jump in, I would like to introduce you to a couple of uh, families that have recently uh, become members, joined the church uh, formally, um, which means that they have said that this is my home uh, church. Um, They agree with and feel called to our mission uh, to be missional, and to reach the people of the city and the college um, with the knowledge of Jesus Christ, uh, to worship here, to serve here, to give here, and, and as importantly, even more importantly, to join us in going from here um, to bringing church and Jesus Christ to uh, the places outside the walls, to folks who never will um, or won't feel comfortable coming in. Uh, we want to export Jesus, if you will. Um, and they are, if you would stand when I, when I introduce you so people can love on you, welcome you, thank you. Um, Paul and Missy Shelley, some great folks, yeah. Great folks, great folks. And I've already dove in, they're in life group and, and discipling. The Duff family, where are Michelle and Tom? I know you're here. And like, they got kids like all over the place, yeah. Yeah. When they joined, like our church doubled in size. Um, and they're part of our life group and involved in, in so many ways of serving and doing. And um, Jessica Ryan, a lovely, godly woman who is into prayer and all kinds of things. We're so grateful that you're here too, Jessica. This is Brown Air. She's sitting next to Marlene. Brenda Burkholder is on the other side of Marlene. You're being flanked by the newness of Brenda is a, has a long time attender and, and just said, you know, I'm all in. And, and you know what? Brenda is um, a widow and, and, and the church has a very interesting role in her life and the role of Marlene's a widow too. Um, we are their husband because um, that's what the church does. Um, so... Um, we are so grateful for all of you. So thank you. We have Bethany 101. 101 is right after. You know, there's no obligation there. You can just kick the tires and find out more. We're not going to, you know, show up at your door in the middle of the night and get you to sign something. Not just yet, anyway. Um, Luke 7. Luke 7, if you have a Bible, you want to turn there. If you don't have a Bible, uh, you can check under the seat in front of you. Uh, that's yours to keep some of them. How, I want to tell you, we just did our offering. You buy those. There are like 800 of those Bibles somewhere 
outside this church, in people's homes, in the community, uh, since we've been doing this, that's beautiful, you know? And if you don't own one, take that one with you. We'll, bu- we'll buy more, um, you know? And, and if, if you see that the cover's like ripping off, we'll get nicer ones. We'll, we'll get whole ones now next time. Um, okay, Luke 7, we're going to get right to the point uh, here. Um, very important God has been pressing on my heart. Um, I put something on the church page yesterday uh, that I've not done before that said, if you are physically able, get here today. Um, God moves. God shows up. Um, This is different. This is different. And I'm so glad you're here. Um, I believe for many of you, um, this will be not, don't hear me wrong, this is not because of me. This is not because of Ryan. This is not because of us. This is because of Jesus Christ. But I believe that for many of you, this will be one of the most transforming and powerful church services that you've ever been a part of. Um, if you have never attended church before, I can virtually guarantee it. Um, so that's where that goes. Um, The title of this message is Jesus Rolls Away the Stone of Unforgiveness. Um, Let me just share with you how we're going to do this, how we're going to do this this morning. First, I want you to see two quick but very important things. Um, Then we're going to dive into some scripture in Luke 7. We're going to answer some questions, um, and then you'll hear the voice of Jesus, and I pray that you'll respond to it. You heard me right, so strap yourselves in. Here we go. First, uh, two very quick and very important things. One, um, we've said this lots, lots of times. I will continue to say it. Um, This applies to every aspect of following Jesus. Um, Whatever Jesus gives us, does for us, we are not simply to be recipients of. We are to be also agents of, um, in this case, what we're talking about this morning, we are not simply to be recipients of forgiveness. We are to become agents or dispensers or fountains of forgiveness in him. So whatever Jesus does for us, pours into us, is not simply for ourselves, but so that we might become fountains of this. Um, That's what his whole plan was. Um, but the problem, the problem with regard to forgiveness is that you and I tend to have selfish and sinful hearts uh, that are more concerned with, and I'm, I'm indicting myself here, more concerned with receiving from Jesus Christ the forgiveness of our sins, more so than the second half of that equation, which is becoming fountains of forgiveness for everybody, for everybody. Um, so we're more concerned with that. And, and, and because this is not just at Bethany, but throughout the church, um, the big C church, um, it is commonplace. It is epidemic. Unforgiveness is commonplace in the church. Um, and it is um, an anti-God state of heart. It is an anti-Jesus state of heart and, and mind. And, and it is lethal. It is killing us. 
literally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, in relationship to God and each other. It is a, a manhole cover that is strapped to our hearts. And we're trying to swim through life with this huge weight that you and I were never intended to bear. And as we try to navigate through life, it is pulling us down. It is dragging us under the surface. And he loves you. And I love you. Uh, and and, and we, need to, we need to really set our hearts to understanding this, to hearing him, letting him press in on us and responding to that. Okay, that's the first thing. The second thing is forgiveness and love are in a cycle. They are linked together in an uninterrupted, perpetual cycle. I want you to see a a circle with love and forgiveness, and one just triggers the other, and it keeps going. It keeps going. They're stuck like glue. You and me, baby, stuck like glue. Whoa, whoa. (laughs) Now, okay, just a side note. When she breaks into the reggae thing, that is just wrong. She didn't have a friend to tell her that was just wrong. I think it's evidence of the fall. I don't know. Love and forgiveness. One triggers the other. One leads to the other. It's in perpetual motion. Jesus loves us, forgives us, fills us with love for him, love for others that leads to forgiveness. And so he loves people, forgives them, plants that within them so that they love him, they love others. We forgive and we go out and, and, and it's, it's, it's transforming. It's intended to transform our families, our marriages, our friendships, our workplaces, our um, do you, do you see the perpetual motion, the ongoing spreading of this to transform cities and communities and, and job places and neighborhoods and streets and, and, and cultures until the world is changed through love and forgiveness, which triggers love, which triggers more forgiveness. That's the plan. That's the plan, and I'm not making it up. Um, We're going to see it in Luke 7, but I want you to see that this pattern, this cycle, which we're really into one part of the equation, not so much the other, but we're going to be. We're going to be. I want you to see that it's all through the Bible. Uh, Psalm 86, 5. Psalm 86, 5. For you, our Lord, are good and, say it with me, forgiving, abounding in steadfast, what? Love to all who call upon you. Psalm 103, 3 through 4. Here it is. Psalm 103, 3 through 4 says this. God who what? Forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast Love and mercy. We see love and forgiveness together in that cycle. Finally, Nehemiah 9.17. God's people, God's people refused to obey, were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them, but they stiffened their neck. They became stubborn and hard-hearted and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you, you, Lord, are a God ready to what? 
Forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake them. So we see this cycle of love and forgiveness. Um, Luke 7, here we go. Now we could spend a lot of time in this passage. We could do weeks on this. There's so much here. But what I really want you to see is this cycle of love and forgiveness, okay? I want you to see this, Luke 7. We're going to pick it up in verse 36. That's where we're going to start. Verse 36. One of the Pharisees, this guy's name is Simon, one of the Pharisees asked him, asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and took a place at his table. Now, uh, any time that we see Jesus being invited into a Pharisee's house, it is not going to be this gracious, loving thing. It's, it's, it's like in Star Wars. It's a trap. It's a trap, right? Um, so that's what we're going to see here. Verse 37, behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that Jesus was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Okay, stop right there. A um, couple of things about this woman. She is crashing this party. Um, people like her were not invited, were not principally there, were not, okay? She is what the Pharisee believes to be the worst of the worst. He has lists of all the kinds of people who offend him, offend God. She would be at the top, okay? Whenever a woman is mentioned in the New Testament as a sinner. We are not talking about a sinner as, as in you, me, Lady Gaga, everybody else, sinner. This is huge, okay? This is huge. And it often, most often, when the Bible calls a woman a sinner in the, in the New Testament, um, generally that means that she was a prostitute. Um, not that women couldn't do anything worse. It's just um, the consistency of, of that label. So this woman was likely a prostitute. She's crashing this party because she learns that Jesus is going to be there. And she brings an alabaster flask. And before all of you raise your eyebrows, it had ointment or perfume in it. Verse 38. And standing behind him, standing behind Jesus, she goes right to him at his feet, weeping. She begins to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head, kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment, with the, with the perfume. Okay, what is going on here? She has come to anoint Jesus, right? Typically, um, the anointing would be on the head, a blessing uh, on the head, but um, this is humility. This is humility. So she comes to do this uh, and, and she's going to now anoint his feet. But before she can get to this, before she can get to this, we see this unrestrained, uncontrolled affection, love, adoration pouring out. She is overwhelmed. She is undone with love and gratitude for Jesus Christ. 
because he has set her free, because he has, as we will see, he has forgiven her. He has wiped her past clean, given her new life. He has loved her like no man has ever loved her. He has seen her as no man, no person has ever seen her as as valuable and lovely. He has restored her, and she can't do anything but weep in gratitude and joy. And it says that she was weeping and so much that she began, she falls at his feet to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. Now, in the Jewish culture in the first century, for a woman to have her hair down um, was very immodest. Okay? You didn't do that in polite company. But a woman like she was, was not concerned about what is right or what is proper. I don't have to have the right clothes to approach Jesus, to go to church, to, to approach him. And, and she has her hair down and she has no towel. So, so as she wets his feet with her tears, she wipes them with her hair, which is down, but she doesn't care. She's going to spend it all. She's going to do everything. She began to wet her feet wiped them with her hair and, 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 and kissed his feet. Kissed his feet. Now, the language that is used here is the identical language that is used when the father of the prodigal welcomes him home, sees him coming in the distance, you know? You know the story. Runs up the road, embraces him, and begins to cover his face in kisses. It is continual. It is affectionate. It is nonstop. She is covering his feet with kisses. Um, she can't. She can't find enough ways to express the incredible love that she is pouring out for him because she has been forgiven, right? It's the same, the same words that are used in the, in the, original, in the original Greek. Um, and anointed them with the ointment. Now, this is expensive and, and precious. And she covers his feet with this costly ointment. Verse 39, now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, said to himself, if this man, referring to Jesus, if he were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. She's a a sinner. Okay. What we, um, what we need to do is just stop here. Um, three quick things, um, but important things that we need to see. We need to see what, what is happening. Um, why did the Pharisee say this to himself? If, if this Jesus were even a prophet, he would know who and what sort of woman this is who, who is touching him. Because she's a sinner. Why did the Pharisee say this to himself? Because, A, he didn't believe that Jesus was, is God. God with skin on, Emmanuel. God with us, the promised Messiah, rescuer, Lord, Savior. He didn't believe Jesus was that. He believed, the Pharisee believed, secondly, that he was morally superior to this woman. And most importantly, what the Pharisee believed was what many religious people of that day and even our day still 
believe that if you touch sinful people, if you get too close to them, if you involve yourself in their lives, that somehow, somehow their disobedience, their sin, their um, uncleanness is going to rub off on you. Sin is not cooties. Remember in the grade school, you know, you just touch somebody and they got it. It's not chicken pox. You can't catch sin. So opposed to what the Pharisee was thinking, if you're righteous, you don't touch the unholy or you become unholy. And Jesus flips that around. He says, because I am holy, because I am God, because I am righteous, I not only touch, I seek out and embrace the worst of the worst. And in that, I don't become unholy. I heal, I forgive, I cleanse, and they become holy. And so what does that mean to us? That means that the very people that in our flesh we are most prone to push away, they offend me. Their, their behavior is, is contrary to the word of God, which we stand on. The word of God made flesh said, go after them, love them, hold them, redeem them. I came for them. I came for you. Don't be morally superior. Church is about broken people whom Jesus loves ridiculously, recklessly. And it's not just during this hour and 15, 20, 30, 45 minutes on Sunday. It's about Sunday through Monday in the cycle of love and forgiveness again and again. Okay, that's one thing I want you to see. Number two, what do we see here? That Jesus is touchable. Jesus is touchable, even by sinners, the worst of the worst. That is incredible news for people like me. That is incredible news for people like me, that you and I can reach out and touch Jesus, no matter how awfully we've sinned, no matter how repetitively we've fallen into our habitual, you know, our, our, our addictions, our habits, our our, our, our rage or whatever it is for you, no matter how many times we've blown it, no matter how undeserving we feel, Jesus is always touchable, always within reach. You have an opportunity this morning to not only know that, but experience that. Number three, I want us to see that Jesus goes after comes after, chases after, is on a rescue mission for two kinds of people. More than two, but we see two here. The rebellious in the form of the woman and the religious in the form of the Pharisee. Why? Because both the rebellious and the religious are equal ways of rejecting Jesus Christ. They are equal but opposite ways of saying, I don't need a savior. We have a woman here who is steeped in in apparent sin, right? Obvious sin. By saying, and and, and some of us can relate to this. I don't need a savior. I'm going to be my own God. I'm going to break all the rules. I'm going to reject God by breaking all the rules and being my own God. I I don't need this. Okay, he's coming after the rebel. And he's coming after the religious who is not into breaking all the rules. They are the rigid rule keepers. They are the moral superior people. 
right? We're going to discipline ourselves. We are going to live high and above everybody else. We're going to talk right, think right, act right. And I am going to, you know, I'm going to be God's favorite. He's going to accept me because I'm living right, which looks good on the surface, but is as deadly as being rebellious. Because what is it saying? By behavior modification, by pulling it in, by restraining myself, by living this upright life with a hard heart, I don't need a savior. I'm going to gain God's approval on my own. And the church is full of both. And the good news is Jesus is on a rescue mission for the rebel and the religious. Equal and opposite ways of rejecting him. So the Pharisee says to himself, if he was a prophet, he'd know. So Jesus calls him on it. Kind of makes you think, you're not going to think to yourself and Jesus is going to go, hey, how about that? Okay, verse 40. Jesus answers him, says to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher, bring it. You ready? All right. 41, Jesus tells him a story. Here it is. A certain money lender had two debtors. He uses an example that people of their day and, and, and people of our day can relate to, right? You owe money that you don't have. College students, you give me an amen there. Okay, a lot of us can too. Certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii. Now that would be the average wage of one denarii is uh, like the average wage of a laborer for a day, okay? So this is like uh, one owed 500, like a year and a half's worth of paychecks, wages. And the other owned, owed him 50, a month and a half, right? When they could not pay, the money lender canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you've judged rightly. You've judged rightly. Now, I, we need to stop there for a second. Hit the pause button. Can you imagine, for those of you who, who are in a mortgage, can you imagine the bank calling you up and, and saying, um, we noticed, uh, sir or ma'am, um, that you missed a payment. Um, and that must mean that you don't have enough money to pay us. But we'll tell you what we're going to do. We're just going to forget about it all. We're going to write it off. Not just this payment, but the whole mortgage. You know, you don't have any, any payments left to make. The house is yours. Uh, it's all paid off as far as we're concerned. If you don't have enough money, that's okay. We'll, we'll pay for it. We'll, we'll take care of it. No, you can't imagine that. Because that doesn't happen. And if that's happening in your bank, you need to come see me later because I'm moving my mortgage over there. And while that doesn't happen with money lenders, while that doesn't happen with banks and mortgages, it happens all the time in Jesus Christ. It happens all the time, praise God, here. Every time somebody sees the beauty and love and, and majesty of Jesus Christ, comes to him in repentance of their sin and says, Lord, I've got this mountain of sin 
and I can't pay it. Can you help me? I'm broken over it. I'm, my heart is broken over it. I'm sorry. And what does Jesus say? He says, I love you. Look at the cross. I forgive you. I paid it. I paid it all there. You have no more payments to make. Not now. Not for your past. Not for your future. I have paid it all. You go free. You have life. And I'm just going to build life into you throughout this life. And and it's going to take you all eternity to, to really understand and appreciate and enjoy all the life that I've that I've won for you. As hard as that is for us to believe with banks and mortgages, we need to not only believe but receive it. Receive it through Jesus Christ happens all the time. That's the gospel. I love you. I've forgiven you. I paid it. God bless you. And here, after hearing the story, our conclusion might be The easiest conclusion to draw is that the woman is the one who owed Jesus the 500 denarii. And the Pharisee only owes Jesus 50. That's that's an easy thing to take away from this story. But Jesus is actually playing into the Pharisee's moralistic condescending view of the woman and his own superiority. See, because both the, the woman who is likely a prostitute and the rule-keeping Pharisee each, in fact, owe Jesus upwards of five billion denarii. Do you, are, are, you, are you getting it? Are you, are you getting me? Just so that you know, I'm not making this up. Um, Ryan, would you pull up James 2.10? Here's the deal. This is... This is the truth. Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable or guilty for it all. Bad news for the rule keepers. Bad news for all of us, right? If you are so disciplined, if you are so good to keep the whole law, break one point, you're guilty as a, as a lawbreaker because you're standing next to a holy God. And there are only two, you, 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 he can't abide sin. Do you, do you see that? And, and what does that mean? That means that the prostitute and the Pharisee, that means me, you, and everybody else, we're all in the same boat. We're all as guilty as each other. And there's no place for this moral condescension that is so common in the church. There's no place for it because we're all in the same boat. That's the bad news. But the good news, and the good news, good, fortunately, is even better than the bad news is bad. Here it is, Psalm 130, verses seven through eight. Here we go. O Israel, hope in the Lord, For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. Thought we were talking about forgiveness. We're going to get to that. Redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. That's the good news. This is the good news. The good news of redemption. Now, redemption is kind of like um, forgiveness on steroids. It is the full working out of, of, of forgiveness. What redemption, 
literally means and why it's a, an appropriate example is because it, it also uses uh, typically financial terms. It is a buying back. It means, um, Tony, you, maybe you had a car and the car was stolen, right? And you go to the thief because of your love for that car and you, you, you buy it back. You buy it back. Now, what does this mean in our own lives? I've gotten a, here's, here's a way that we can, we can maybe picture it. This is, a, this is a very cute, clean, beautiful teddy bear. Um, God has created us in his image for his glory and for our joy. This is still in the box, if you will. But both through inheritance and through choice, just as our first parents, Adam and Eve, rejected God to be their own God and walked away, so have all of us. Yes, in one sense, we've been kidnapped by the enemy, but we colluded, we cooperated. So I remember one time, um, Shri was shopping um, for uh, some things in New York City, um, and this vendor said, I, I, have, I have some of those in my van. You just have to come into the van. And she got into the van and he closed the door. And I'm like panicking, freaking out, right? Well, what if, what if he drove off, right? Well, he would have kidnapped her, but she would have cooperated in, in the same way. You and I have been deceived, but we've been party to it. And we have not lived the life um, that is clean and new and beautiful. Um, but we've lived our own life. This is the identical bear. It's been through a lot, though. He is, um, he's missing an arm. Um, he's got half a foot. He's been burned and has uh, paint and singed and run through. He's um, missing an eye. Maybe that represents all the things that we've looked upon, sought out, focused on. Maybe the worst part of it is not missing stuffing or the appearance, but his heart is gone. He's given it to another. He was created in this example for God and God alone. And yet, given his heart to another, and there's a, there's a black spot where the heart belongs. You say, ah, I don't look like that. Okay? Not on the outside. Not on the outside, maybe. Some of you know exactly what this is about. It's subtle when our outsides look really pretty. And this is what our hearts have done. And we draw near and say, Holy God, I want you to be near me. And he does not respond as he has every right to in severe, unquenchable anger 
does not respond with wanting to do away with the bear, with you. He responds with love and forgiveness. You'll notice that the price tag is still on. Here's what it is. He goes to buy back this bear. At any Walmart, even in the worst neighborhoods of America, a stuffed animal in this condition would be marked down, closed out, clearance priced, or thrown in the trash. Right? He, when he goes to buy us back, something has happened to the price tag. It's gone up. This won't cost you what a normal bear would cost. No. You want to buy this back? It's going to cost you everything. It's going to cost you your throne in glory. It's going to cost you your mercy. It's going to cost you your grace. It's going to cost you your reputation. It's going to cost you your comfort. It's going to cost you your pain. And it's going to cost you your blood, all of it. And he says, when he looks at you, and he looks at me, he's worth it. She's worth it. I'll pay. I'll pay. So what Jesus does, Scripture tells us, is he becomes this bear and goes to the cross and dies for it. so that he can make us into the men and women he created us to be. What's more, he wants to make us into himself. Do you have an idea? Do you have a picture of how great God's love is for you. The Bible says that when I was at my worst, when you were at your worst, when we were sinners, Christ came and paid the highest price and loved us best. That's when he said, yeah, that one that nobody else wants, that looks different than I ever intended to. That's the one I want. And I'll pay. Then turning toward the woman, verse 44, he said to Simon, you see this woman I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet. She wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, kiss on both cheeks. This is all customary when you have a guest. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she's not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil. She has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Now, it didn't just happen there. This is in the perfect tense, which means it's to say your sins were forgiven, are forgiven, will be forgiven. This has already happened. She needs reminder of it. 
We all need reminder of it. She, has lo- she didn't get forgiveness because she loved. She loved because she got forgiveness. Then those who were at the table with him began saying among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Who is this who even forgives sins? Because you can only forgive the sins that are committed against you. Every sin that has ever been committed against you has ultimately been committed against Jesus Christ. Every sin you and I have ever committed has ultimately been committed against Jesus Christ. Why is this? Because it is against the way he created things to work for us, to love God with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, all our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. It's all against him, so he can forgive it. And here we see the cycle. Here we see the cycle again. If you pull up Ephesians 4, 32, here's the need. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, that's loving, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. In his love, he forgave you. Love him, love others, forgive them. Keep the cycle going. Matthew 6, 14 through 15. This is Jesus' P.S. from the Lord's Prayer. If you miss anything, get this. It's a reminder. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. Does this make anybody sit up a little straighter? It ought to. It does me. Here's something to think about that unless we keep that cycle going and not just be forgive, recipients of forgiveness, but agents of it, then the, their sin that they committed against us can become our sin and not forgiving. And he says to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. That's my prayer for all of us that our faith will bring us into salvation and we would go in the peace of the Lord with nothing unforgiven, nothing unforgiven. I promised you after this message, the the, the scripture that we would um, answer a few questions um, and then we hear the voice of Jesus and respond to it. Um, A few questions that might be on your heart, I'd encourage you to wrestle with and work through. Um, Is there a double standard in your heart? Is there a double standard with regard to forgiveness in your heart? Do you want um, your forgiveness from Jesus Christ to come from his love, to come from his mercy, but the forgiveness that you do or do not extend to others to be based on some form of concept of justice and mercy and deserving or whether or not they will continue in this fashion? Really? Do you want that double standard? Aren't we glad that Jesus doesn't do that? How many times has his forgiveness failed? Uh, have I failed to allow it to transform me to I don't return to that sin again? Forgiveness is for the guilty and undeserving. If it was for the innocent and deserving, it would not be forgiveness. Don't have a double standard. Second question, why does Jesus have a zero tolerance policy for unforgiveness? He came... He sought out, he died and rose again to undo the works of the devil, to uh, kill unforgiveness, if you will. 
so that you and I, because of his love, may be forgiven, so that we might love him, love others, and continue that cycle of forgiveness. Look at Jesus on the cross. He is stripping sin of its power. He is killing it and destroying it. Unforgiveness does the opposite. It waters sin, it fertilizes sin, and it puts it on life support. It lets sin reign, and it glorifies sin. Jesus' cross, if you will, is as if he's hanging there saying, everyone who comes to me in repentance and brokenness over their sin, he's wearing a sign over his heart that declares not guilty. When you and I stand in unforgiveness, it's as if our hearts are wearing the sign guilty and will always be so. Do you see the inconsistency? And the danger is this. If we have, as believers, unforgiveness in our hearts, it may mean, it may mean, wrestle with this question, that we came to Jesus to seek forgiveness, to merely avoid punishment, rather than to be in right relationship with God. Subtle difference makes a world of difference. That we may have come to the cross and confessed our sin merely to escape punishment, rather than to be in loving, right relationship with God. Because if we're in loving, right relationship with God, that cycle comes alive. But if that cycle hasn't come alive, we have to wonder why we came in the first place. What's the result of unforgiveness? It's been said that hurt people hurt people. I've heard that many times. I'd like to amend it. I'd like to suggest that hurt people who are filled with unforgiveness hurt other people. When you encounter or are a mean and angry person nine times out of ten, the reason they're like that is because they were wronged and they never forgave, never let it go, and they're going to pay back everybody else for the offense that was committed against them. People insulted me, people abused me, people bullied me, people treated me wrong, and that's why I am the way I am. No, the way you are, the way you are, the reason that that is, is because people did all this, and you've held on to it, and you've allowed it to continue to hurt you, to continue to tear you down, and you've carried that, and now everybody's got to pay for it. You say to yourself, I don't have unforgiveness in my heart. Really? Really? then why are you sometimes so angry? Why are you sometimes so harsh? Why are you sometimes so bitter and hard and spiteful? Why is everything that is committed against you, why is every offense like the straw that broke the camel's back? Well, because you never cleared off the camel's back in the first place and you're still holding on to the offense and so you're like a ticking time bomb or a gun that's cocked and loaded ready to go off let it go let it go I am not I am not diminishing the pain in your heart and in your life that you've been forced to endure through the sin and, and offense of other people. I am not. And I won't. But you don't need to continue to carry the weight of it. 
because Jesus loves you, he wants you to let it go and let it stop hurting you and killing you. Your unforgiveness is killing you and fighting against Jesus, and I know you don't want either of those. Maybe the unforgiveness that's in your life and in your heart is not what others have done, but because you've never come to the point where you've allowed Jesus to forgive your sins. You've never come to him broken over what you've made of your life and said, make me new. Forgive me, wash me clean. This is me. This is what you call me to be. I can't do it on my own. I'm coming. We said after the questions, and if you have more questions, we can talk after the service. You can write them on the back of your connect card. Somebody will get in touch with you, work through them. We said after the questions, you'd hear God's voice, Jesus' voice, and have a chance to respond to it. Um, you're going to do that right now. Hear Jesus' voice. I was born in upstate New York. I have Sounds three Sounds a lot siblings. like Deb Rubinen. My dad passed away when I was three, and my mom remarried when I was five. The man she remarried, he systematically cut us off from the rest of the world. He cut us off from our family, our grandparents, our friends, our school. We were homeschooled, our church. He took away television, books, music. We weren't even allowed to see a doctor. He delivered my three younger siblings at home. My stepfather cut us off from the rest of the world so that he could abuse us. From the time I was seven to 11, he abused my sisters and me. And the worst part was that he twisted the scripture to justify his abuse. He made us read the Bible from cover to cover again and again. And he held what he called church in our garage every day. We lived in a constant state of terror. Where was my mom in all this? She knew, and she did nothing to save us. When my stepfather was arrested and brought to trial, he was sentenced to 20 years, and the courts gave my mom a choice. They said, you can side with him or you can have your children. And she chose him, and we were placed in foster care. That was 22 years ago, and I still, she still refuses to see me or um, respond to me. My aunt and uncle in Leadville adopted my older sister and I, and we spent our high school years there. I spent those years running away from God. I thought he was who my stepfather said he was, sadistic, perverted, and violent. So I numb myself during the day by just absorbing myself in my studies, being the perfect student, and at night, numbing myself with partying. After my freshman year at Western State College, I was sick of my double life. I told a Christian friend of mine that I said, I'm either going to kill myself, commit myself to a mental institution, or 
I need to believe in your Jesus, not the one I've been told about. And she led me to Christ when I was 19. I started going to church, and I thought that I had to act as if I had it all together. I wasn't comfortable telling my story because the message I seemed to get was, if you've been abused or if you've had a rough past, you should get over it and move on with life. So I cleaned up on the outside, but my inside was really still hard and bitter. I forgave and loved with my mind, but my heart was still so far from God. I was afraid to trust him. I decided it was the right thing to forgive, so I did, or so I thought. I was married, and we started a family, and that's when my life fell apart. God showed me that I hadn't truly forgiven. I looked at my beautiful, innocent children, and the depth of what had been done to me flooded back. And my mother's heart was enraged with what my mother and stepfather had done. And bitterness was ruining my marriage. I took my anger towards my stepfather and mother out on my husband by being disrespectful to him. Another reason I was motivated to forgive was I didn't want my kids to grow up with a mommy who said she loved Jesus but was full of bitterness and anger. I didn't want them to be confused about who God is like I was when I was growing up. God showed me that if I wanted to truly forgive, I had to remember the memories I'd been avoiding for the past 20 years. A Christian counselor helped me get to the point where I could journal in detail about the abuse. I even wrote my mom explaining the damage that she'd done and that God was helping me to forgive her. I was shocked when I realized I could be so honest with God. I could tell him that I hated them and sometimes I even felt like I hated him for allowing the abuse to happen. And yet he still loved me. For the first time in my life, I felt safe. When I struggle with forgiveness, I look to Jesus. He suffered all the indignities I did, the shame and the violence and the cruelty, and yet he forgave. I believe that if he forgives and he lives in me, I can truly forgive through his power. For me, forgiveness is a daily choice. How I'm treating my family is an indicator of how I'm forgiving. If I'm loving them unconditionally, I'm walking in forgiveness. But when I'm angry with them over small things, I know I'm not. And I have to lay the bitterness down at Jesus' feet, ask for forgiveness, and re-surrender to him. I need to surround myself with support, prayer, my husband, mentors, scripture, friends, worship, to keep from slipping back. To me, forgiveness is like surrender, like free falling off of a cliff. It makes no sense to my human mind. It's scary. It goes against all my instincts of self-preservation, but yet it's so exhilarating and liberating. I feel like a huge weight is being lifted off my shoulders. And I know that that weight is my sin of unforgiveness. I'm finally free to enjoy life 
that God intended for me. I'm free to enjoy my family, free to enjoy my passions and gifts. I'm free to enjoy fellowship, worship. I'm starting to be free to minister to other people who are hurting. I can say with David, you set my soul out of prison and I will praise your name. As I forgive, I'm starting to see who God really is and how he sees me. I'm not afraid to be God's daughter. He's a good father. I don't always understand him, but I'm learning how to trust him. Two weeks ago after church, after the sermon, I sat praying, asking God to roll away the stone of forgiveness, unforgiveness from my heart completely. And he showed me something amazing. He showed me holding my hands out to my mother and my stepfather. And I was saying truly from my heart, I forgive you. God is making this happen. You just heard the gospel from the Lord speaking through his precious daughter, Deb. Jesus forgave. Deb forgave. It's now time for you and I to forgive. Let's pray.